A major and very unpleasant surprise for Democrats waking up over the weekend to the New York Times results showing President Biden trailing Donald Trump in six key swing states in 2024. And the question now is, should we all be panicking? I'm Matt Robeson. It's Beyond Politics, and we're available wherever you get your podcasts. Of course we are, and on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube. Yes, those results were not great from Democrats' perspective, showing President Biden trailing Donald J. Trump in five out of the six most important battleground states one year out from the 2024 election. They show Biden losing to Trump by margins of four to 10 percentage points among registered voters in Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Biden only ahead in Wisconsin and by only two percentage points. So to answer this question, how worried should we all be? We are very pleased to welcome back our previous guest, Ian Smith, the Director of Polling and Analytics for Navigator Research, and crucially, the head of the Navigating the Battleground Survey Project. This is very important because, Ian, welcome back, and you are doing polling right now on these same sets of places that we're really concerned about here, so you bring some really good insights. Welcome back. Thanks for coming on short notice. Thanks for having me. Excited to get into this. Yeah, I'm excited and uh, filled with trepidation. Let's hit this from a 30,000 foot view and in a nutshell. We'll use both metaphors at the same time. We can do that here on this show. How worried should Democrats be right now? Yeah, I would say I would reframe. I wouldn't be worried, right? I wouldn't be concerned. Obviously, I trust New York Times, Siena Poll. They do very good work. And I do believe like at this current moment, these are the numbers in those six battleground states that they tested. With that being said, one, let's level set here. We're a year out, right? A year out in an environment where Donald Trump is not really talking. All we have is what is currently, as we've tested in the battleground, uh, a painful economic moment for folks, right? We haven't put out our economic release yet, but we have 47% of battleground voters saying that they're not currently saving. 51% saying that they will not be able to miss a paycheck and meet certain deadlines, right? So we're at like a tight economic moment. And generally in those moments, the party in power and specifically the administration in power bears some of that front. But we're also in an environment where we are a year out from an election. And if the election was held today, do I think these results would hold true? Maybe. We know a lot of more folks pay attention within a year out leading up to the election. We will have the Republican madhouse of a primary settled. And we'll really have Joe Biden and Donald Trump getting into it, making their ideas known and plain. And we'll see all of this play out over time. So I would take this as a snapshot in time. I don't know if folks remember a year out from the last presidential election, the numbers look very different in favor of Donald Trump. I think this was, was this pre-COVID? I'll have to go back and check myself. But a significant amount of time before the election, there were favorable numbers for Donald Trump leading up into the election before COVID and the fallout and his disastrous handling of that situation, right? Things change, but numbers are numbers. And I think we should be concerned, but we can look to the future. And I can talk about some of the battleground numbers. We've just actually come out of the field with our latest battleground polling, and we're seeing some good news for Democrats in the battleground as well. Let me read that back to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to put my own words into this. I don't want to put words in an expert's mouth, Mm -hmm. but my read on this when I saw it was, a polling result can be both real and yet not that informative when it comes to telling us what's going to happen. 
this looks to me like all polling. I don't like hand wavy explanations where people say, oh, you, you can't trust polling. Actually, yeah. you can trust polling. It turns out to be a pretty good barometer of what people are, are feeling if you yeah. understand it through the lens of, yeah, this is what they're willing to tell pollsters to certain questions. And we, of course, Definitely. we understand there are biases, there are misperceptions, doesn't matter. I, I don't like a hand wavy dismissal of this. But I think it's fair to say, based on these results, voters are dissatisfied, they're unhappy, they don't like the direction of the country, we know that, they're feeling a tremendous amount of economic distress because we've gone through a period of higher inflation than Americans have experienced in 40 years, they're unfamiliar with that, it's very disconcerting, it hits people's paychecks and bottom lines very hard, and they're going to take that out on the incumbent president. It's also true to say, that we run campaigns for a reason. And we have Absolutely. not had a campaign yet. And we have not, as a party, defined Donald Trump and Republicans yet. There's people are getting this a little bit in dribs and drabs, sometimes not in the way that a campaign would shape things. So that doesn't mean that if things just sail along, Joe Biden will waltz back into the White House. But it means that I don't necessarily think that this is indicative of we are going to lose. It's indicative of people are not happy and Democrats have to wage a strong campaign. I don't think that's particularly new information. That's my formulation of it. How does that jibe with you or not jibe with you? I think that's absolutely correct, right? And I think to your point about this like widespread dissatisfaction we're seeing in the electorate, I think that's playing off for Republicans too, specifically incumbent Republicans in the House, right? This survey was conducted, the New York Times survey was conducted October 22nd through November 3rd. And our Navigating the Battleground survey, which we do 61 battleground districts, a mix of Republican-held districts and Democratic-held districts, specifically battleground incumbents that are in tight races. Our poll was conducted October 19th through the 25th. And we found that Republicans are actually, Republicans in Congress specifically, are at record low approval ratings following their kind of chaotic, to say the least, speaker selection process, where they've dropped down to under 22 points underwater among battleground constituents, right? Republican incumbents are at their lowest favorability to numbers since we began our navigating the battleground survey last spring, right? To seven points underwater in job approval, sorry, 10 points underwater in job approval, seven points underwater in favorability, and their Democratic incumbent counterparts are seeing their best ratings, right? Nine points above water in favorability, eight points above water in job approval, right? So I do think that there's one, this kind of party in power incumbent effect that we're seeing that you alluded to. But two, I think when we back out and we look at some of these folks who are actively running campaigns, not saying that Biden and administration aren't running campaigns because they are, but when we zoom in on what we can see as a microcosm of what will be the contentious general election campaign for this year's uh, presidency, I think that we can see some dynamics at play there um, that might not necessarily be represented in this poll. But again, I'll say to your point, I, I think these polls are a snapshot in time, but they're not necessarily predictive. And we know what, what we can guarantee is that the dynamics at play now, while some things are maybe may remain consistent, a lot will change within a year. And I can almost guarantee that. I, one of the things that really stood out about the New York Times poll, and I'd love to do any compare and contrast that you have based on your own work or just your broad sense of these things, is 
really see strong results for Donald Trump among Black Americans, Hispanic or Latino Americans, and young Americans under age 30. And I want to ask, how do I put this scientifically? WTF, Ian, this seems like a real departure from patterns we've seen uh, traditionally. Now, that's not to say that we haven't seen erosion in support over time, especially among Hispanic voters for the Democratic Party. And, but on the other hand, we're, we're fresh off of really relatively strong results among young voters in the midterms. And so yeah. I, and I, I especially want to point out a very odd feature of this New York Times poll, which is that they also tested a generic Democrat, meaning an unnamed, just like some Democrat, um, versus Donald Trump and Vice President Kamala Harris against Donald Trump. Both would not only be doing better than President Biden, according to their polling, they would both win against uh, Donald Trump in those swing states. And in fact, Nate Cohn said just this morning that, mm -hmm. and I, I want to, this is going to sound complicated, but bear with me. If President Biden were to merely capture the voters who he's not getting right now, but who say that they would support Kamala Harris against Donald mm -hmm. Trump, he would then be winning. And so that's really the margin that he needs. It's really quite small. What do you make of this whole miasma of weird results of Biden's underperformance against these traditionally very strongly Democratic supporting groups and the fact that they are more supportive of the vice president? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, I think that there's a couple of dynamics at play. And we see this, we've actually done some focus groups recently among young Americans, which are planning on putting releases out this week for. There's this overwhelming fatigue, right? And I think we're at a unique point in kind of American politics generally, but after the arduous four years of the Trump presidency felt like it was a decade, and going into this kind of post-COVID economy, we're experiencing a voter base that is not only politically fatigued, economically fatigued, and they feel like they want to shake things up. We've always had an electorate that wants to shake things up. Young voters specifically, I think, are crying for an outlet. And I, I, I do think we kind of discount how much of this economic pain is hitting those voters specifically. You can't do a, a focus group among Black voters without hearing about student loans and how that's going to prevent saving, potential house buying, et cetera. And I do think you're seeing some of that yearning. But I also think that a reason why we could be in this place and what the Biden campaign is trying to solve now is a knowledge gap. I don't have the exact numbers, but upwards of 50% or more haven't heard about job the, the job creation the Biden administration's doing, right? We had a whole actual economic proof points poll we put out and we were able to move Biden's favorability and a job approval by upwards of 10%. Tell and me I more think... about that. So what you're saying is when you prompt voters with a mm -hmm. little bit of information about, did you know that such and such is true? And would that, how would that affect your opinion? What you're saying is when you present them with factual information about the economy, it really moves mm -hmm. people. Absolutely. In our last poll, we saw that 60% of voters have heard a little or nothing about the Inflation Reduction Act. 
one year after his passing, right? With some key proposals in there to address exactly the pain points that Americans are feeling, right? Doing that education does move voters. And it does get to those, there was a, the number in the New York Times poll specifically talking about whether or not Biden's economic policies are getting to them versus Trump economic policies helping them out. And I think it's very easy to think about early COVID, think about unemployment and two checks that you got that had Donald Trump's name on them, right? It's very easy to get that message across where kind of the Inflation Reduction Act and these kind of landmark policies that Joe Biden's passing takes a little bit more nuance, a little bit more explanation. And we have a year to do it. And again, we have to think about the environment as far as a year out. Traditionally in political science, we know that voters are really tuned in six months to three months out from the election. And we have to start laying the groundwork to land that plane there on what we've done and what we um, continue or what the administration is planning on continuing to do to right that ship. But Ian, we just did. We just buried the lead a little bit here. This is like journalistic malpractice for us here. I I want to underscore something you just said, which is we know, again, you're the expert, but we know from political science and and statistical research that polling results this far out have zero predictive power, none, Mm -hmm. zero. You really don't start to see any kind of correlation between what in polls and what actually happens in elections until about 90 days out, nothing really reliable. And so we are a long way away from that. And I just want to connect that to something else you were saying, and then I'll turn it into a question, I promise. Okay. You were saying that when you expose voters to positive information, true information, and there is a ton of it that Democrats and, and President Biden specifically have at their disposal, it moves them. They have a, that actually does make me feel better. And I am now more disposed to vote for President Biden kind of reaction to that. So that's great. We also know that voters actually respond even more to negative information. And we know for (laughs) sure there is going to be a ton of that in this upcoming election. And one of the biggest pieces of negative information potentially is what's going to happen in Donald Trump's criminal trials. And voters seem to have very dim awareness of what's going on with this. In fact, one thing that I think is very hard for our audience both on video and on audio to really wrap their arms around is just how special and wonderful they are. This I'm not just pandering to you folks. By definition, if you listen to this podcast or you watch this video, you're in the top 0.1% of high information voters. You're smart, also good looking. I know that about you. And you are, right, just like me and Ian, you are incredibly well informed. This isn't to say that Americans who are not in that category are unintelligent. They're extremely intelligent. They just don't have the same interests that we have because we're politically obsessed. And you see this even in John Della Volpe, the Harvard pollster who focuses on young voters who said that fewer than one-fifth of Americans under age 30 reported even following the news regularly last year, let alone mm-hmm. being able to say anything about President Biden's accomplishments, which are many and historic, or Donald Trump's crimes, which are also many and historic. So I'm just going to turn this right back to you. The New York Times led this morning, probably sensing the news in its readership, like, oh, the convictions could make a big difference here. What do you make of that factor here? There's going to be clearly negative news about Donald Trump coming in the next year. We hope it's super negative. 
how much is there another shoe to drop here? Yeah, I, I really can't predict the fallout. What I do know is that some of that sentiment around Donald Trump, his criminality, his doings are baked in, right, Um, to this point. This is as unprecedented of a figure as Donald Trump is. What is precedented is that he will always be in trouble and always be in the news, right? So what we haven't, the bridge we haven't crossed yet are actual criminal charges and guilty verdicts. And I imagine that has a significant impact. What impact it has, I'm not totally sure. When we test concerns about criminality, they're very concerning across party lines, but we haven't been in a situation where we can actually test the fundamentals of what it means for a former president and a presidential candidate to potentially be facing jail time post a guilty verdict. But what we can control, and I pulled up some numbers here, and some of the concerns I do have are one, regardless of what ultimately ends up becoming of Donald Trump's legal troubles, we do know that the MAGA majority and the MAGA brand right now for Republicans is toxic, right? MAGA Republicans are upwards of like 20% more unfavorable than Republicans across the board. And Donald Trump is the leader of that MAGA brand. And we have to, once he's back in the public eye, once he's back on the campaign trail, I think those associations will start to come, to come more into play, specifically among that more disassociated voter. And speaking to your point about how closely voters are following this information, in my previous role as polling and analytics um, director for American Bridge, we released some of this information about media consumption broadly. And this was specifically among a swing woman in this uh, very kind of, I think it was Pennsylvania and Arizona. And when we do diaries, we have them track their uh, media consumption behavior over a 24-hour period, right? Very detailed. Every hour, they're detailing exactly how much time they're spending on their phone, if they're on their phone while watching TV. And the kind of key finding from that, which was shocking to us, but very important to realize, especially as we talk about how closely people are following these things, political news takes about 10 minutes, 10 minutes of people's time per week on average. Wow. Wow. 10 minutes per week is spent closely following political news, right? So that's how you get numbers like only 30% of people having heard about the Inflation Reduction Act and investing in domestic semiconductor manufacturing. These proof points aren't really getting there. And I do think that they will eventually land. And when they do, we'll see a ground shift in not only Biden positive, but speaking to some of Trump's criminality concerns, those will also land. And we'll see a different landscape here. I, I do think that will change the, all the dynamics. No, but yeah, things will change. I, it does. Ha- it reminds me a little bit of it's like we're asking people to take a test before they studied. And what you're seeing here is we're failing right now. We're failing this test. But then when you think about the fact that we have not studied at all, that I, I, I don't want to oversell how much comfort we should take in that. We still need to do the work. And you alluded before to the fact that Donald Trump was ahead at this point relative to the 2020 election, a year out. And this was before we had news about COVID. And that's a key point. We didn't know, not to sound like Donald Rumsfeld about this, but we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know that a an epoch-shaping pandemic was coming our way and that Donald Trump's disastrous performance in it was going to totally reshape the 2020 election. We also don't know what we don't know now. And so we are 
baking in so many assumptions here. The other inherent assumption, and I can't stress this enough, folks, is this is polling. And as you said before, Ian, this is New York Times Siena College polling, which is about as high quality as you could ask for. It's excellent. I believe it for what it's worth. It's also polling of registered mm -hmm. voters and actual likely voters are not the same thing. And we know that from scads of experience and research. Let me throw this at you. David Axelrod, the former Obama presidential advisor, came out over the weekend and said, I think President Biden should drop out, P pretty much in, in, in so many words. He said, I think it's time. And he wasn't the only one, Bill Kristol, other commentators who are genuinely invested in defeating Donald Trump have said, nope, I, I, I read this as it is time for President Biden to drop out. What do you make of that? Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Yeah, that's heavy. One. Two, I, look, I don't think that necessarily helps the, the situation or the discourse, right? Especially if I wasn't too familiar with those headlines, but if those recommendations are coming off the back of this poll, I think that's uh, kind of jumping the gun a little bit, if I were to speak for myself. With that being said, I do think that the urgency is warranted, right? I, I don't believe in panicking. I do believe in urgency. And I think that when we see all these levers we have to pull, for example, the awareness of Biden's accomplishments, the MAGA Congressional House orienting the Republican brand across the board for battleground voters. I think we have a, a lot more levers to pull than Joe Biden dropping out of the race. And I think it's now is the time to really dig in, get on that education um, and continue to work to improve people's lives. Right. Results talk more than any ad could. And I think there's still plenty of time to drive results. We know inflation, the Inflation Reduction Act policies are working more and more every day, 170,000 jobs. Um, created up until this point, only 44 or 44% of Americans said they've heard little to nothing about that. I think we have time and I don't think right now is the, the time to hit the panic button. But I do understand the concern. And yeah, I, I hope we do get this right, right? I think the race is ours to win for ourselves. If, if we're really concerned and we really like put our heads to it, we can get it done. But I, I don't know. I would say personally, I'm not speaking for Navigator. I would say that's still a little too, a little too Look, I, and I know you have to be careful here because anyway, you have you have to be professionally careful about this. It does remind me a little bit of what the meme that was my screensaver when I was a congressional staffer for I kept it for two years. It was from August 2000 and people forget very easily that Barack Obama was not ahead of John McCain in the late summer. As a matter of fact, McCain had a polling bump when he named Sarah Palin as his VP, and he was out ahead. Again, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know that there was going to be a global financial meltdown, and that <laughs> scrambled the race. But even before all of that was coming together, the meme was Barack Obama, picture giving his uh, acceptance speech at the convention in front of those like weird Greek columns. I don't know why they decided to do that. And it was just him looking to camera and saying, everybody chill the fuck out. I got this. And I do have a little bit of, oh, I love that so much. And I, I do have a little bit of a feeling here of, again, it's not like we can just, you know, take a nap for the next year, but there is so much of this race left to run. I'd say there's virtually all of this race left to run. So let's not, let's relax here, people. Let's not overreact. Let me get you out of here on this. 
I don't want to put you in the position of having to advise on a public show some of the advice that you may be giving to campaigns and the White House yourself in your day job. But I want to ask about a specific angle of what President Biden can do to improve things. David Frum, the never Trump Republican who writes in The Atlantic, had a fascinating piece over the weekend in which he basically mm -hmm. said, we should revive 1996 Bill Clinton triangulation strategy. And it was the, for people of a certain age, you might remember Dick Morris, the scandal-plagued pollster and all-around creep who advised Bill Clinton, look, triangulate, hold yourself as a little bit above the fray and against both extremes. And from is essentially advising Biden, look, there are excesses of the left. In some cases, the more progressive elements of the Democratic Party go a little far for the tastes of most Americans. Call them out, hit them too, and triangulate and separate yourself a little bit from that brand. And I wonder, the reason I'm teeing this up to you is I thought there was some sense in that. And I thought that your battleground, your navigator research, battleground survey results really spoke to the fact that what voters seem to be saying is they really don't like the dysfunction and the anger and the vitriol and the not being focused on actual human beings' problems that they're seeing out of elected officials. That feels to me like an opportunity for a little plague on both their houses, triangulation. What do you think about that? Or do you have any other tips that you would give to the White House that you're willing to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would say I feel the framing of triangulation to me rings, rings like it's missing the mark here. I think we don't need to triangulate. We need to meet voters where they are, right? And to do that, there's twofold. One, we're trying to land like broadly, I feel as an ecosystem, the administration and parties around them are trying to land the jobs message. And I think that's slowly but surely getting across. We see some not ideal, but rising awareness of this. We've created more jobs than any other administration in the last 40 years, et cetera where voters are left now is this awareness and this feeling that somebody is addressing those microeconomic concerns, right? Can we talk to the 51% of voters? This is not a triangulation thing. This is everybody under pretty much making under $100,000 a year is feeling, and some people who are making more than $100,000 a year are feeling these pain points, right? I cannot miss a check and afford rent, electricity, or to fix my car. I cannot save currently. Groceries are more expensive than they have been, and that's concerning. Can we start to address some of those things for people who are employed? Can we say that our goal, even if it's not being met right now, our goal is to fix your microeconomy. Our goal is to provide you a framework for a functional government, albeit our partners are in government are doing going through a lot of chaos here. Can we start to deliver a message that says we're the party to affect that change. Because I feel like right now, neither one of the parties are landing that message. And if the party who can control that microeconomy message and that microeconomy faith is going to do very well. I think we're battling the last big shift in microeconomy that people felt was one inflation. Before that, it was a couple of thousand dollar checks from Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And they're looking for that again. 
but I, I do think instead of triangulization, we need to talk about like just addressing issues that the average American is facing. And if, if we can land that plane, I think we'll do well for it. Awesome. No matter who. Well, I feel moderately better. Look, I, I'm not suggesting that Democrats should feel great. I, I'm not, there is no doubt in this that we are down right now and that voters are showing more openness to reelecting an insurrectionist and a certified autocratic crazy person than I would have ever thought possible. I don't know how many times Donald Trump can disqualify himself. I would have thought that killing 400,000 Americans in the COVID pandemic, according to his own leader of COVID response, Deborah Burks, would have been the first disqualifying point. But that's mm -hmm. just me. No, nonetheless, here we are. And I'm not on the basis of this poll feeling like, okay, it's time to pull up stakes and move to Canada. It's sounding like you're not either. All right, Ian Smith, thank you so much for all of your insights and expertise. And uh, we'll have to have you back if things start to get any worse, or maybe if they get any better. Yeah, I'll, I'll end with this. I'll, I'll consider, if I, if I have to use a, a school metaphor, this is a progress report, right? We're halfway through the semester. Let's get to class. Let's sit in the front row and figure out how to end this semester. You know what I mean? We can lock in and fix these things. We have the tools to. So Agreed. I'm, I'm and if we off. fail to do that, I will see you in Winnipeg. All right. All right. Ian Smith, thanks so much. Thank you.